0: This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast features Jim Huff. It was recorded at Liberty Pole Spirits in Washington, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Liberty Pole Spirits and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! You can find us at FermentedAdventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at FermentedAdventure at gmail.com. All right, F.A. Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Liberty Paul Spirits. I'm here with Jim. Jim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Rich. Uh, this has
0: been exciting because we've had this on our calendar for a-, a year, ever since we came here the first time. Right. This is supposed to be uh, Whiskey Rebellion mm. Festival weekend, right? It and is. It is. Because of COVID-19, because of the coronavirus, we decided for Men in Adventure, we're going to have our own Whiskey Rebellion. We wanted to make sure we came to see you and uh, just just had our own Whiskey Rebellion. It's a great idea. We, we appreciate you stopping in to see us. Jim, Liberty Pole, how yes. did all this get started? How did the distillery come about? I was
1: a hobby distiller.
0: Uh you know we're on
1: a podcast and the listeners can't see it, but that is my hobby. Still sitting
0: here, and we'll in, post pictures on the website yeah, when we
1: when we put up the, the podcast in the
0: corner of our of our tasting
1: room. Uh, I was a hobby distiller for years. Uh, I never intended to do anything more than than have a little bit of fun, teach my sons uh, how to make whiskey. We had you know some really good father son bonding times on the back deck when they were teenagers. Um, and you know, I just hit the point in my life where I was really looking for act two, you know, what can I do after I've kind of climbed all the ladders I was willing to climb in my corporate career. I just really wanted to do something that I enjoyed
0: and I really
1: enjoyed making whiskey. And,
0: um, is that what you were doing as a hobby distiller? Were you making whiskey? I was making whiskey. Did you, that did you do vodka? Did you rum? Just whiskey? Never, just whiskey. What was it about whiskey that you keyed in on? I like whiskey. Okay, <laughs> um, if you're gonna drink yeah, it, why you might not make it, right? I make
1: something that I that I like, that I enjoy. I was never a vodka guy. Um, gin, I could, uh, I could, I could, you know, take it or leave it. But uh, uh, whiskey, I loved, and you know, it was just fun for me to experiment with different grains and, and different recipes. And uh, you know, I, I just love
0: making whiskey. It's, when when is it? I mean, so you love you love whiskey when it. At what age did you realize you had, uh, you know, the desire to have whiskey? The taste of whiskey? Yeah, you know what? It, it was
1: it was not until I, I kind of hit my forties that uh, that I I realized that you know I was just beer is just a little bit too filling, and uh, you know I you hit that age where your metabolism slows down and you start putting on weights if you're if you're drinking three or four beers. So I liked whiskey. It was uh, it was uh, it was tasty. It was less filling. Uh, it was. Uh, you know everything about it. I enjoy it.
0: So you started as a hobby enthusiast of making whiskey, right? Was it corn whiskey you were making, rye whiskey, bourbon whiskey, or all the all the yes. above? All of the, <laughs> all of the above. All of the so above. you had your little barrels at home. You were I, barreling I did. and stuff. I'm sure, yeah,
1: the, the, the little two liter barrels that you can buy uh, online. But I was doing, you know, I was doing. I, I think I was doing it right from the beginning, and that okay. I was doing all grain um, mashes and. You know, I kind of learned how to, how to work with different
0: now grains. That, that's an electric
1: still? No, that's a that is a, that's just a still that sits on top of a turkey fryer. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so unlike our production equipment where we do all grain, grain in, uh, I had to actually sparge the grain out
0: because it would scorch with the direct flame of the turkey fryer on my backyard still. So all this time, you really had a good sense of that next level of putting this distiller together. And, and you said, as, as in your career, you, you reached the point of where you you had that you hit that level, right? Yeah. And you wanted to do something else, yes, right? How did how did things end up to where they are today in Washington, Pennsylvania? You know, so
1: so you're here on on the Whiskey Rebellion weekend, and um, once my sons graduated from college, my wife and I downsized and we moved into a neighborhood of uh, one level patio homes, and one of our neighbors was a botany professor here at. WJ, Washington Jefferson College, which is the college right here in town. And him and his wife came to our house because my wife and his wife were friends and they wanted to see some quilts that my wife was doing. Well, I happened to be on the deck running my still. And so they came unannounced. My wife was all nervous that somebody was going to see me distilling, so she tried to usher them so they couldn't see me. Eventually, they, you know, Myrna, just trying
0: to picture so, Alan, Myrna just, asked, Don't you know, look out there, don't look Myrna out there. Where's
1: Jim? And uh, Ellen said, Oh, he's he's out on the deck, he's got a little hobby. And Tom, who was the botany professor, uh, said, Well, I see Jim, I know what he's doing. And then, you know, he's he said, Look, you know, I'm a professor at WJ, he was a huge history buff, he was on the board of the uh, Bradford House, which you guys just toured. And he said, look, we have a Whiskey Rebellion Festival every year. We don't have a distiller. You know, I think you guys should look into it. And that was all I needed. You know, we started writing a business plan in the next month. And, you know, uh, probably two years later, we opened our doors.
0: Now, you've already really refined and really put together your mash bill, right? I yes. mean, at this point, has is it is it the same... Mash bill that you had as a as a hobbyist or how has that changed for you so our core portfolio uh, those are all the identical
1: mash bills that I was doing as a hobby distiller now we've you know we've since come out with a number of different products you know we're experimenting a little bit with some of our bourbon uh, recipes uh, but the core portfolio that we have is still the same
0: uh, mash bills that, that I was using as a
1: Hobby distiller,
0: yeah, and for a lot of people, they don't have that ability to refine stuff as off as as for the time frame that you did. So you really had a sense right. of when you graduated from size of your still. Right, you had a real sense of how it was all going to work we, and what you were going to do. We did,
1: but I, but I will tell you that it was it was very comforting when we finally got to taste because. You just never know scaling up from 10 gallons to our original equipment was 300 gallons. And now your, your equipment is how big 600, 600, 600, 600 gallons 600 gallons. So, so the scale up was a bit nerve-wracking you know, those first few months where we were actually scaling up those 10 gallon recipes. but you know we, we, we loved what it, we loved how it tasted and we loved what was coming out of the still and we've pretty much kept them the same way.
0: You said you put together a business plan, but Jim, what was it? What was it like for you now taking a hobby and creating a, a sustainable business out of it? What was that like for you? What was the experience like for you and Ellen? You know, in in the growth and building of this distillery. Yeah, a lot of sleepless nights. Was it really? Oh yeah, for sure. Um,
1: just I've always had a comfort level of I've never been an entrepreneur. I've always worked for somebody else. Somebody else always took that risk of putting their capital and their investments into whatever business. And, uh, you know, this was the first time that, that we did it as an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I, I remember really after two months of being in business and, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of age product and we were selling our, our white rye and our corn whiskey. and But every weekend we had, you know, we had a full tasting room, but it was predominantly friends and relatives and neighbors And I remember going home one night and saying to my wife, Alan, you know, we're not going to be able to make this business go on friends and neighbors and relatives. You know, eventually the community has to start coming in, and and, and it did.
0: And And now what year is this? 2016. 2016. So in this area, as you said, there were no distilleries. Um, I'm sure there were breweries or or people had more of an idea of that. Right. So this was relatively new and new experience, this whole county and community. The county. Now, there were uh, some distilleries that had opened up a few years
1: before us in Pittsburgh. So, you know, kind of the, the, the general region had had some experience with craft distilling. Uh, but yeah, for Washington County, it was it was brand new. Yeah, it
0: doesn't sound so long ago, but still the general idea for a consumer is, is it, even even as you meet people today. I'm sure you oh. have people walk in and say, well, you've never been to a distillery before. I, I took
1: a phone call yesterday from from a guy who's coming in today. Said I can't believe I've never heard of you guys. My buddy and I are huge whiskey fans, and somebody just told us about you. Can we come down tomorrow and do a tasting? So you know, even huge whiskey fans in the immediate ten mile radius of our distillery still, still don't know you're know, here.
0: You know, so it it is yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a long play. That's right fascinating. Yeah, and and it still means that. As you introduce yourself to the consumer, there's a lot of people that don't know about Liberty Pole. Absolutely. Now, Liberty Pole, how the name happened? Because you've got a couple of names going on. Right. So explain your name situation and how you put that together. So our our corporate name,
1: Mingo Creek Craft Distillers. Uh, that was that was how we formed our LLC. Uh, we had to have a name for it. Um, we, you know, based on our research, we discovered that the uh, settlements in this area were were all named after creeks, right? Mingo Creek, Chartiers Creek, Catfish Creek. Uh, so the the core group of rebels who were the the most you know kind of violent and and um, effective protesters against the excise tax on whiskey they called themselves the Mingo Creek Society. They met in the Mingo Creek Meeting House, which again is within a 10 mile um, drive of our distillery. So we liked that. We liked the fact that, you know, we could take a name that meant a great deal to the whiskey rebellion and use that as our corporate name. Uh, We never really thought about how that could turn into a brand because ultimately when you're producing a product, you need a brand that's going to catch people's name. Mingo Creek craft distillers is a little bit wordy. Uh, So we started putting our heads together and thinking, okay, now we need a brand. And, um, we researched a lot of things, and we discovered this notion of liberty poles. So, liberty poles were—they were basically the Twitter of 1791. It was how people protested. Uh, Twitter is an angry place, right? Liberty poles were often put up in anger. They were—they were flown on you know, town squares and on farms and you know along roads. And they were just a big pole with a scrap of fabric that would typically carry the message of the day, which during the Whiskey Rebellion was. Know, down
0: with the excise tax! So, so there would be there be pieces of material flying from the pole. Yes, Is, is like that a what flat. you'd see if you yeah. were coming by horseback? Yes, yes, yes. And was there a specific color, or would it actually say when they're you know down with the whiskey tax? Down or? with
1: the whiskey tax! Absolutely. The 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 town of Bedford, uh, Bedford, Pennsylvania, which is when Washington and Alexander Hamilton assembled a militia to put down the whiskey rebellion. George Washington actually led those troops, uh, and he led them as far as Bedford. And at that point, he turned around and left the the army to to the command of Hamilton and light horse Harry Lee, and Washington went home. The people in Bedford will actually tell you that there were so many liberty poles erected around the Bedford area that Washington got scared and went home. Uh, That's their story, but we've heard... Washington had
0: hemorrhoids and just couldn't couldn't handle the horse <laughs> well, ride. Well, see, the whiskey longer. might have helped yeah. him, yeah. right? And exactly. and he was a distiller, so exactly. he would he would know how that works. Exactly. That's interesting because the, the history books would tell you that Washington actually rode into Washington and and squashed the rebellion. He did not, right? He did but not. so I always thought it was kind of ironic that he would Washington would ride into Washington. Yeah, right. I mean, that was kind of funny. Which. From the, which at that point in
1: time this was known as Bassett Town. Okay. Uh, it was not named Washington until later on. And we actually make a white rye whiskey that we call
0: Bassett Town whiskey because that was the, that was the original that name. That was the original name. Okay. of this particular settlement. So so you you you've really embraced or you've really come to promote the history of the Whiskey Rebellion, the Liberty Pole, as you said Mingo Creek and and, and where the where the the heart of the rebellion you know, came, came to be. Right. Do you think that mirrors your personality? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, we, you know, we're very passionate about whiskey,
1: about history, about helping the community and and just everything meshed together. uh, And it just really felt right that we adopt this just all
0: inclusive, historical um, perspective on, on what we do here. So now you've you've gotten your feet wet. You're distilling. You've you've got barrels going. But what's this whole experience? Do you you recognize what this means to the town, or or the reflection of of really what impact you've made in the community right now? We do. Um, You know,
1: oftentimes adult beverage uh, establishments are the first foothold in a revitalization process for a community. Uh, So you know between red pump between us the washington brewery you know we've now established those adult beverage destinations and you know we bring we bring people in uh, based on some demographics of some you know programs we run we're bringing people in from the tri-state area Uh, so people who wouldn't be coming to washington uh, unless there were you know something interesting to come to and so once that happens they need a place to eat. They may want to do some other shopping. Since we've been open for four short years, uh, I think the last word that I got was 12 new businesses had opened up in Washington since you know we opened our doors.
0: Now, obviously, we're in the midst of COVID-19. And hopefully, at some point down the road, somebody will be listening to this and go, oh, what was COVID-19. It'll be such a memory. That would be great. I know everybody yeah. would like to forget about it yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, we're in an area that's seen, you know, the lower end of it, and some sort of a, sur- a resurgence of it. What I mean, obviously, the whole whiskey, the, everything. The Rebellion uh, Festival has been canceled. What's What's the impact of COVID been on you as a business and, and and the town itself? So the town is is really
1: hurting this weekend. This this is a weekend where uh, between Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we would bring in. Thirty thousand people, uh, cumulative across those three days for the festival. So, you know, it, it, it's definitely
0: affecting our weekend, but every other business in Washington. Is and I'm sure it's, you know, when you say it's affecting, everybody wants to look at the bottom line, the financial side. But I, I think it also affects people spiritually, oh, mentally. You absolutely. know, you look forward yeah. to this. This has become a big to do. Yeah. Where you have people come in, total strangers. Yeah. You know, but you look, you know, the, you know. imagine saying, hey, we're, we're canceling Christmas. I mean, and, and, and who knows? That could happen this yeah, year. Yeah, right. Um, but you look forward to the turn. The, the the restaurants and, and, and the, the people in the, the, the community um, really look forward to the, the, the getting together of it. And now it's not there, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: No, it's uh, it's a big loss. It's a big loss. Uh, you know, the, the whole town feels it. We feel it. Um, you know, on, on the other side, we've obviously had to close our tasting room. And we do a, you know, we do a fairly robust uh, cocktail business on Fridays and Saturdays. But, you know, we've kind of made up for that in bottle sales, and especially online bottle sales. So, so we're we're fine. Uh, You know, it's just we've had to pivot and kind of change the way that we do business and think about doing business. Uh, hopefully the cocktail business will come back we're we're really not And you guys walk through our tasting room it's pretty small right so we're not you have a little bit of outdoor seating in front of
0: the in front of the distillery
1: but you know close togetherness is something that's really not um a good thing right now so so we're trying to do all we can we've pulled out some big community community tables we had in our tasting room replaced them with individual high tops just to try to promote a little bit more
0: social distancing between between customers. So you talked a little bit about the fact that online bottle sales or bottle sales have still, they, you, you've seen more people purchase bottles? Yes. And and how's that, how do people find you? How do they know where you were? I mean, at, at this point, I know the LCB had closed down their site. Well, that was a, that was kind
1: of a big, that was a big thing for us and for all Pennsylvania distillers because once the, the state stores shut down, then in-state distilleries became the only you know, the only choice if you wanted a spirit uh, in Pennsylvania. So people were pretty proactive in searching out distilleries. Now, we don't do a lot of advertising. Uh, We don't promote on social media um, just because we don't have a lot of product available. So, you know, we want to be able to take care of our core customers and our our local region, our backyard. But people found us. Uh, People found us. We're shipping to Philadelphia and Wilkes-Barre and harrisburg and you know so so that's been really good and and i I think you know before covid we would get maybe one or two orders per month uh, to ship and now we're shipping an order or two every day Uh, and, and a lot of those are repeat buyers we recognize the names from people that first found us during the the shutdown and you know what it's pretty easy to sit down at your computer and order some spirits and have them shipped to your door. It's a you know direct to consumer mentality is you know something that is really lagging in the spirit industry, but hopefully you know that'll be one of the good things to come out of COVID
0: is that. It's doable, and Pennsylvania allows that to happen. And you're only shipping in Pennsylvania, you're only in Pennsylvania. Are there? Are, are you looking in opportunities to ship outside of the state, or not at this
1: time? Not at this time. You know, we're, we're still kind of waiting for some of our bigger barrels to mature, and we'll have more product available. So right now, we're just we're really trying to focus
0: on just being hyper local. Now, one of the things I remember is when we first came here, we, we took a little tour of your distillery, but I, I don't know. I for some reason there's this energy in your basement barrel house <laughs> and 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 the smell and just the just the fuel that but you're so now we talked about you started with doing 25 30 gallon barrels but now you're laying down 55 50, 50 55 gallon barrels so what's that process been like for you and you now have a a, a whole side warehouse just to store your barrels right? right right well actually rich we we started off in
1: five gallon barrels okay so so we've had we've had a plan all along to progress from 5 gallon to 10 gallons to 15 gallons to 25 and 30 gallons and ultimately to the 53 gallon barrels um, you know other other distilleries with deeper pockets will will jump right into 53s and they will they will get by on you know vodka or gin sales until their big barrel whiskeys ready we couldn't do that for a couple of reasons we didn't want to make vodka we didn't want to make gin we really wanted to focus on whiskey, so we felt that our best plan was to, you know, try to produce some whiskeys out of these smaller barrels. At the meantime, with a big plan to get into these bigger barrels. I, if 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 I had to do it over again, you know, I'm not sure I would do it that way. I would maybe try to see if we could figure out a way to make it work with bigger barrels. But the one good thing, so why you know, do you say that? Well, bigger barrel whiskey is better than small barrel whiskey. I mean, okay. there, there's no. You know, big, small barrels, they allow you to accelerate that oak extraction, oak contact. But, you know, but some of those chemical reactions only take place over time. And when you're pulling a whiskey out in six months, you know, things just haven't had a chance. You've got all the oak that you need. You've got all that caramel color and all those oak flavors. But you're not getting, you're not getting the, the
0: fully mature whiskey that you get out of a, longer age barrel so it's but, going to be really exciting for you to actually see that that result of that long-term maturity sure from from what you've been producing and, so far and, and you know the, the
1: one thing my sons and i talk about all the time is that you know actually we're glad we did that because filling a five gallon barrel we, we had that our feedback loop was much quicker than a feedback loop in a 53 gallon barrel we we were able to adapt, you know. Ah, oh, you know what? We need to go a little bit deeper into the tails. We're not getting quite the flavor we want out of this. So it's really nice having that quicker feedback loop. Where I, you know, I would have been panicked if we'd have laid everything down in a fifty-three gallon barrel in four years tasted that first whiskey we ever made. It's like, oh my goodness, we really needed to make a tighter head scot or something. Um, and and it, it was it was it was a good learning experience for us. We I think we really were able to dial it in better, having the
0: opportunity to, to work on these smaller barrels. I think for people listening right now, and, and it, what really resonates with me, Jim, is that uh, the the idea that you really are learning as you go, that people just think, hey, I walk into a distillery and you get the big name label distillers who've been doing this for centuries right. and, and, and have had a real good base to go by. But you're learning as you go. You're experimenting as you go. And, and I think that's, again, if we tie into the whole whiskey rebellion, the growth and the birth of this country, in a lot of ways, was an experiment. Yeah, Trying sure. to figure things out as you went. And yeah, you know what? People are going to make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, you got this picture of Alexander Hamilton in your tasting room. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. What's, what, what's odd about that? It's, uh, he's upside he's down. He's upside down. Yeah. And Why do you put him upside down? It's a sign of disrespect. <laughs> right. Yeah, so so for, in for, for a lot of ways. Facts. Yeah, I mean, a lot of ways, you know, you're you're figuring it out as you go. But people walk in and they expect, oh, you know, you're 53, 55, you know, you have your big barrels, and that's how they figured you got there, right? They don't see all that time and the questions you have when you fill the barrels. Is this going to be right? You get that feedback, like you said, um, maybe a little more, you know, maybe a little more ethanol to this, maybe a little higher proof, you know, maybe a little bit more time in the barrel. You never know. Yeah. And and now it's laid that foundation for you to be doing these bigger barrels, right? Absolutely. What does it feel like today for you, knowing going back when you when you had this? Hey, you know, I'm going to stick my still in a turkey fryer and 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 just make for me. And now you've got people that have never heard of Liberty Pole and they're asking to come to see you today. What does that feel like? when you hang up the phone? What's 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 Jim's reaction to that? It, it's. It, it's
1: surreal uh you know we just i never allowed myself to really think this far ahead when we were starting off you know we were just trying to make good whiskey and get through to the next month and you know now that we're four years into it and and we're growing you know i I actually do have a much longer term big picture vision of you know kind of where i'd like the distillery to be um but no it is very gratifying it really is and and you know, we didn't expect to be where we are in four years and we're just so happy uh, and, and proud that we're able to, you know, make a whiskey that people seem to, to really enjoy.
0: Have you ever thought of yourself as a craftsman?
1: Um, no, I, I really didn't, really haven't, uh, but, you know, it, it that's a good question. Uh, I try not to. Uh, I think more of myself as a, you know, a businessman who's, you know, who's who's turned a hobby into a you know, into a, a craft that, that
0: people really enjoy. So this is a family run distillery. Absolutely. Talk about the family's role and and what they do. Yes. So my wife, Ellen is our chief
1: historian. Uh, She is our chief uh, um, mixologist. She took those, took those roles with, uh, you know, with, with just super enthusiasm. Uh, She makes some of the best cocktails in the area. Uh, She is, solely responsible for the look and feel of our tasting room and all the historical accents we have in here. She sits on the board of, you know, some local businesses and local historical societies. So she's very involved in the community. She's kind of our community liaison person. Um, my sons, Kevin and Rob, are both engineers by uh, by trade. They were both mechanical engineers working, you know, on their own careers. And um, we were about a month or two into Kind of my wife and I doing this business and realized pretty quickly that it was a lot for us to do. Uh, 300 gallons, it's a lot of grain to move. I'm not getting any younger. So we started kind of talking about, well, let's find a distiller. Let's find somebody who can come in and take over the day to day manual production cycle and, and we'll train them how to distill. And my sons, who had kind of grown up distilling with me on the back deck, said, "Wait a minute! If you're going to hire somebody, you know we want to be there. So we're we're coming and we're joining the business. And I, you know, I was I was scared about that because again, I didn't know how this was going to turn out. They had great career paths going, and and I really didn't want them to risk that. But they insisted, and and um, about two months after we opened the doors, they were here full time. They run all the production, and they love it too. They love it. They, they really they do. love it, and, and they're they're passionate and." They, they are just sponges, and they read, and they're you know they they're just fantastic. So in a
0: lot of ways, again, this is a hobby. They, they grew up watching you with your hobby, right. never really knowing down the road no, no, this was, was. going to be just as what it is. Now, yeah, you right. talked about right. you have a vision for the future. What's that vision look like for Liberty Pole? Yes, I mean,
1: honestly, I would like this to be just kind of a family legacy. I would like to see my sons pass it on. To their next generation, and you know, keep, just keep it, keep it in the family, and, and you know, just have a, a, a business that you know that can pass from one generation to the next, and you know, just provide a real fun and rewarding career path for the the, the, the people that follow us, the those uh, those kids that follow us.
0: So it, leave it, really behind, it leaves something behind. Leaves up it's That's legacy. Like, yeah. Yeah. And has yeah. that always been something in your back of your mind that you want to leave some legacy, whether it was a distillery now or something prior in a vision for you? You know, I, I, I can't say that I, I really
1: thought about that. I mean, I, I always wanted to leave the legacy and having, you know, good kids and, you know, seeing their families grow and be able to contribute to society in some way. You know, that was kind of what I think my original thought of a legacy would be just leave really solid citizens behind that contribute but obviously the distillery has kind of replaced that and, and I view the distillery and the, you know the family contribution and ownership of the distillery as, as the legacy and also what we mean to the town and you know
0: what what we can I was thinking the, the same town. thing
1: you know we um we spearheaded last year and uh, didn't do it this year because of covid but last year we spearheaded a uh, a Pennsylvania rye whiskey blend and we organized. We we got seven Pennsylvania distillers, uh, you know, all the, the big names. You know, Dad's Hat and Wiggle and Barrel Twenty One and and um, um, Thistle Finch and ourselves and Red Pump. Hope I'm not forgetting anybody. But we did. We blended. trying to count as you were going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> said seven. We, we blended. You know, we all contributed mature rye whiskey. Uh, we blended it into a Dad's Hat fifty three gallon barrel that he had used to. A straight whiskey. We let it mingle for two months. We bottled it, and all the proceeds benefited the David Bradford House and the Whiskey Rebellion Festival. And we were, we were, between that and a whiskey walk that we also organized in town on the weekend of the Whiskey Rebellion. We raised, I believe it was thirty-six thousand dollars for the Bradford House and the Historical Society. So, so that felt really good yeah. to be able to, you know, to raise that amount of money for.
0: Obviously, a, you know, a small community museum that struggles to, to meet its budget every year. So you, you know, good. you mentioned that. I mean, we, we talked about what this means to the community, but the financial impact just for the local businesses. But even still being able to raise money and to be able to continue the legacy of the history of the Whiskey Rebellion, right, right. that's going to be missing this year as well. Yes. Now, we actually had the, the head of the Washington County Historical Society in this
1: very room last night filming a – he does a living history – uh, YouTube channel and he did a living history on the, the role of Liberty Poles uh, during
0: the Whiskey Rebellion. So, so, you know, we still try to help out whenever we can. Well, we've talked a little bit about the distillery. We've talked about Whiskey Rebellion, but let's talk about what you've been producing and putting in your bottles. I know we have some things we want to taste. Absolutely. So what do you want to, what what do you want to do first? Well, you, you tell me, I, I have all of our Core portfolio out. Uh, well, I right mean, here's what I would say. You introduce us and introduce people that haven't heard of Liberty Pole. Okay. Bring in a couple and let's, yes, let's sure. and talk about your vision and what you're making.
1: Okay, so I'm going to bring over our our two rye products first. Uh, so we have Bassettown, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And that's more of a white dog, right? It's a white dog, right? That's a white dog. And then our, our rye whiskey. Uh, these are really fun to taste one after the other because... They are the exact same juice. The only difference is that
0: the rye whiskey is aged and the Bassetown is unaged. And it's just a fun experience, especially for people who maybe are whiskey novices who haven't really
1: experienced a white dog. but, But to see what two years in a barrel does to a whiskey, it fundamentally, 180 degree, transforms that whiskey into a finished, mature product.
0: So talk about, all right, this is your, this is what you've created. And, this, and you've been working on this for a number of years. But talk about your vision and what you wanted to, you know, see come out of your still. What were you looking for? What do you like to drink? So
1: I am yeah, I think anybody in Pennsylvania, especially if you make whiskey, you know, you should be a rye fan. You know, rye is our heritage. Rye is what the Whiskey Rebellion was fought over. So, so rye was always my first love. And um, I wanted to make, even when I was on my hobby store I wanted to make a rye whiskey that honored the tradition of Monongahela
0: rye. Um, and, and, and what's the tradition? What what makes well, Monongahela rye different or special or Yeah, different people have different interpretations of that.
1: Basically, the the one that I think is the most commonly accepted is is a high rye mash bill um, with a lack of corn. There is no corn typically in a Monongahela rye. So uh so our mash bill for our rye is about 75% rye whiskey, uh, rye grain. Now, we do throw in a little wheat, and this gets back to my notion of what I wanted out of a rye whiskey, uh, and, and the rest is is malted barley. But, but I threw in the wheat because I wanted a, a rye that had a lot of that characteristic rye spiciness, but not to the point where it was overly harsh. A lot of ryes that were produced by MGP back when MGP was pretty much the only Company producing rye, they have a ninety-five percent rye mash bill, and um, it, it it's very, very, very spicy, very bold, very uh, in in your face, and um, you know a lot of people that still come in today say I don't like rye, but they've only ever experienced. These 95%. which it's, are great. it's the
0: same thing like gin drinkers that say, yeah. I don't like gin until they've started right. to drink the, right. the American craft right. gin product. It's right. the same thing with rye. So so our goal on, on our rye was to
1: soften it up just a bit. I still wanted it to have those characteristic spicy notes of a rye, but just not maybe as bold as, as some other ryes that are out there.
0: It's very floral on it the is, nose. It, it, it it's tremendously been, floral. Yeah, it is. And, and it's like almost as... I'm gonna say this damp floralness, like yeah. like if you just walked out in the field after it rained, yeah, in in the yeah. nose to it. Yes. So you do a little barley as well, right? And are all these grains sourced locally? Uh, everything but the barley. Okay. So
1: the barley we get from uh, from a you know a large uh, uh, malt supplier uh, in in the Midwest. You know we're actually on our to do list is to start talking to some of the, the local maltsters. Malts a very specialized um, process and when we started there weren't really available malts uh, produced close by. So
0: no most of them were if anybody was right. doing malting they were doing it for local breweries, right? right?
1: Right. But over the last few years more and more of these guys have come online and the guys that have been around have increased their their production. So so that's something that, that we, you know, intend to Experiment with a little
0: bit. I see what you mean about adding the wheat. Because what happens is, at least in the White Dog, you feel the burn, the spiciness start to ramp up. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like somebody puts a, a towel on top of it yeah. and just it takes it, it, it away. It definitely tamps it down. A little bit. It really does. Yeah, it really does. So what do you... Uh, is this more for cocktails right now? The, the White Dog. That you're making? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it is almost
1: 100% a cocktail whiskey. You know, I, I tell people when I give tastings and tours that I never go home at night and say, man, I'm going to pour a couple fingers of Basset Town. <laughs> right. it, it's not a sipping whiskey. And the other, I always follow that up with my favorite thing to do with Basset Town is to actually put it in a barrel and make rye whiskey. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, well, that's it, a good transition yeah, to that.
1: It, it's a good historical perspective, but, yeah. you know, it, it's,
0: it's not for today's palate. It's a good mixer. But it's not a sipper. I love the first nose on this, now that this has been aged, because you get the oakiness of the barrel in the yeah. first nose. Yeah. It really comes out. So you, you do get a little of that floral note, mm-hmm. but the oak really, really comes through right. there. Right. And a little bit of citrus, too. Yeah. I, I mean, a, you get the vanilla, you know, you get what you would expect out of the nose a little bit. Yeah, a lot of people pick up the, the
1: citrus uh, in our eyes. And that's 92 proof. You know, you're going to get you're going to get a nice warm hug out of it, but you know, you get a little bit of that spiciness. You feel those
0: peppery notes on your tongue, and again, because you have that base where the spice starts, but it smooths out, right. and it seems like everything sits a little bit. The warmthness sits in the back of the mouth. Yeah. It's a nice warm, like you said, a nice warm hug there, yeah. but it doesn't burn going down. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are concerned about a a a, a harsher whiskey. Like a rye whiskey, because they think, oh, it's just going to be gonna this burn. burn. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. this doesn't. This is You're right. Let's yeah. go home and sip this versus
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that's what I love about our rye is that it really does serve, you know, if you want to sip it neat, if you want to put it on the rocks, if you want to make it a Manhattan out of it, it, it's very versatile. It works across whatever, you know, whatever type of
0: drinking you want to do out of it. You get a little bit of earthiness out of it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a delicious sipping rye. You. This is something to be very proud of. Thank you. Um, and and well, the, it, the the current issue of Whiskey
1: Advocate magazine did a did a, uh, a deep dive into Pittsburgh's whiskey scene, and um, the author of the story uh, called us out and said, you know, that we're the most whiskey focused distillery in in the area, and that our rye is maybe the best modern representation
0: of a Monongahela rye. So, um, so we're pretty proud of, of the rye. That's a that's a great credit, yeah. to what yeah. you're doing, yeah. Now, I see some other things that showed up on the table. Yeah. I'm not even sure what that is. I will tell you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, those, are, those, are, those are for later in the tasting. By the way, you did, you did talk about Ellen being responsible for your cocktail program. Yes. And and at yes. that very moment, we had cocktails brought in. And this is, I, I know mine's made with the peated bourbon. Yes, it is. Or the peated whiskey. The, the peated bourbon. Peated bourbon. Yeah, peated bourbon. And this, I, I this is. If if I could take maybe four or five growlers of this, yeah. home. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a, that's got a homemade uh, smoky uh, chipotle simple syrup uh, in it. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to like I just wanted to taste this, yeah. but this is incredible. It's a good. It's a good cocktail. This is a good cocktail. Yeah. yeah. So what do you got for us next? Okay, okay so now we're going to jump into the
1: into the corn um, part of the portfolio. Uh, we are going to
0: now. What was the transition or thought for starting and in getting into corn whiskeys? Well, I was making a corn whiskey at
1: home. Uh, and, you know, it's just, I really like a corn whiskey because
0: very few other distillers make corn whiskey. Corn whiskeys, whiskey... Because you think of moonshine, right? People look down at corn whiskey, right? It, it's moonshine, it's, you
1: know, it's backyard liquor. Uh, but a corn whiskey done well is, is delightful. I mean, it is really a light, simple, sweet whiskey. It's a great summertime whiskey. So, so it was always my plan to do a corn whiskey. Uh, just it, 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 it's a little bit of a differentiation for us because you don't find that at a lot of other places. Uh, from there, it was a natural then to you know to make a bourbon. Uh, you know, even though we're a Pennsylvania distillery, you know, bourbon is an American product. I, I wanted us to have a bourbon to round out our portfolio. The thing about all of our corn whiskeys. Uh, is that we use bloody butcher corn. Uh, we have a farmer uh, about 45 minutes away from us who grows bloody butcher corn. Uh, and it is a, it's a deep red, non-GMO heirloom grain. Uh, yield per acre is about half of what you
0: get uh, with the GMO corn. What made you decide to go with the bloody butcher? You know, what so was the reason why on that?
1: Yeah, that's a good story. Because I was not using Bloody Butcher Corn as a hobby distiller, I was just using you know whatever I get my hands on at the you know at the local farm feed store. But we actually, when we were starting the distillery, we reached out to a you know to a local guy who had a lot of what shall we say historical connections to
0: moonshining. And um, is he like this to remain nameless? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> he's a hidden yeah. secret. Yeah, and, and you know we we just picked his brain and said you
1: know hey if you were going to make Whiskey, if you're going to make a corn whiskey, what variety of corn would you use? And he said, without a doubt, find a farmer to grow you, Bloody Butcher. Okay. And, uh, so so we, he, he gave us some names of some farmers. We reached out to some farmers, and, and one young guy uh, said, you know, I, I would love to. I, I've got a couple acres that, you know, because when you, when you farm a non GMO grain, an open pollinated grain, you have to physically separate those fields from your monsanto from your gmo fields so he had the perfect farmland where he across the stream he had fields that he was not using so he was able to plant bloody butcher corn for us and he's been farming for us ever since but it just it's a very rich nutty earthy uh flavor profile from bloody butcher a little oily i mean we like a we like a viscous whiskey Like the fact that we have a pot still back there, and you know, we produce kind of a heavy or viscousy whiskey, and the bloody butcher works really well with the
0: style of whiskey we're trying to produce. I'm 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 getting it's funny because when you said the oiliness of it, and and the nose is what kind of the curtain, the credits and what to expect in the and, and it's funny because that that was what was in my nose. I just couldn't figure that out. Um, and it almost is, I, I get like a note of licorice to yeah. it or some sort of s- sweet spiciness to yeah. it. So the, the mash bill on
1: this is 80% corn, 20% malted barley. So it does have a, a really nice, rich maltiness. It's for, nutty. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, a lot of that comes from, you know, A, the, the malt percentage plus the bloody butcher brings its own nuttiness to the game, to the party.
0: And from this, it doesn't seem like a high proof to this.
1: It's ninety two. So all of our I'll brown tell you what your,
0: your rye are, yeah. has it, it, it tastes or it it approaches at a higher proof it, to me than this does. I think the sweetness on that maybe you know, the,
1: the high corn content kind of masks the uh, the proof on that, and, and that's why that's why I, I love it as a kind of a summer whiskey. I mean it, it's easy it's easy sipping it's awesome on some rocks sitting on the your sitting on your porch on a hot summer evening. It's just a really very simple, nice whiskey. Uh, we, you know, we do an aged version of a corn whiskey. Corn whiskey is the only grain whiskey that that you can legally make uh, in this country and bottle it right off the still. Corn whiskey does not have to be aged, which is why when you go into a liquor store, you'll see corn whiskeys that are completely clear. They don't have to be aged. We age ours, and if it is aged, it has to be aged in a either a used barrel or an uncharred barrel.
0: So we age our, our, our corn whiskey and our used bourbon barrels, which I'm sure there's there's a little bit of uh, nuance that, that comes yeah. off of that too. And that, that seems to be, in my mind, what takes the, the experience of that proof down, yeah, versus getting what the initial yeah. uh, burn yeah. or the, the ethanol that would come yeah. through. Mm-hmm. What's the next one that okay, you so have? The here? next
1: one is our bourbon.
0: So this is a um, so we make a weeded bourbon, right?
1: at least right now. We also have a, a rye bourbon kind of in the works aging but again we like wheat and and I talked about it with our rye we like wheat as a flavoring grain and whiskies because it, it just adds to a little bit to the smoothness right it, it mellows down the whiskey a little bit uh, so so the bloody butcher with a little bit of wheat uh, and malted barley it's just this is just a very simple smooth sippable whiskey uh,
0: very I think you get some nuttiness out of this one too. I tell you, what I find about this is I think this bourbon is going to appeal to a different a number of different segments of bourbon drinkers. Mm-hmm. There's some that like sweet bourbon. Right. There's some that like a higher proof bourbon, more right. closer to a cask strength bourbon. Right. I think there, there are some that like the oakiness of a bourbon. Right. And I think you you've kind of incorporated all the personalities of a bourbon in one bourbon. Across the board, so if you like different facets of a bourbon, this kind of hits all the mark on each bourbon that somebody might want, want to drink, yeah, or may, that different bourbon you drinker. May be onto something
1: because you know the bourbon is kind of consistently, consistently the our, our best seller. and um, you know I think it does appeal the, across the spectrum of bourbon drinkers. It's high enough proof that you know people that like high proof stuff aren't turned off by it. It's got that little bit of sweetness that. The sweet bourbon drinkers like, but also if you don't like a sweet bourbon, it's not overly sweet. It's not so, yeah. It, it, it's kind of really plays the field well.
0: But but then you get the the dryness, the finishes. The anybody that is more prone to liking a more oaky bourbon. Right, it's there too. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. This is really something that can appeal and satisfy a lot of different bourbon drinkers that could say, yeah, I, I could drink this, yeah. and I could share it with a lot of other people that may have a different personality desire for a different bourbon. Mm-hmm. So this is really good thank you and what else what's the next Okay finally this is our this is our Peter bourbon so um, now I, is I, this the new batch of peated bourbon like what what year are we talking now well this this is a this is our, this is our current batch of peated bourbon Peated bourbon is is a kind of a, a constant part of our portfolio we always want to have a peated bourbon. this is my this is by far when I ask people if they've had you know the, people talk about you know they're they're Scottish, yeah. Bourbon, Scottish whiskeys, yeah. And I'm like, have you tried Liberty yeah. Pole?
1: Yeah.
0: Well, quick, quick aside in
1: how this came about. Uh, when I was a hobby distiller, and I was making the whiskeys that I liked, I was making corn whiskey and rye and bourbon. And my wife happens to be a huge Islay Scotch
0: whiskey fan. All right. So this she is this the, is the, the, this is
1: because the, I love you, Ellen. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the smokier, the dirtier, the better. And and so she said, well, can you make you know a single malt? out of uh, your backyard still. So I, I went and I started looking for peated malt. And as a home distiller, there are no home distiller supply stores. You have to go to brewery supply stores. Peated malt is not a really good ingredient for, for homebrew beer. You can get it, but it's more of just, you know, kind of a, a really specialty grain. And so my homebrew supply store carried peated malt, but they carried it in quarter pound um, packs. So I did the math and I, did the did the math and figured out it would cost me way more than I wanted to spend to, to experiment with a full batch of peated uh, single malt so I said well maybe I'll just add some of that peated malt to a bourbon mash and that was really the aha moment that that gave us the um, idea that man maybe you know this is something so unique and so different and at the time I didn't know that any of these existed elsewhere uh, that would you know kind of give us the a good start on on maybe a business plan. This was going to be our, our core whiskey. It's not nearly our best seller, but it's what we're known for. It's it's what really put us on the map. Oh, you guys make that peated bourbon. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so you know, the best way to describe this is if Maker's Mark and Laphroaig had a love child and <laughs> it, it would be would be this peated
0: bourbon, right? It's a, now, it's, my question is, is this legitimate or illegitimate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, was, was this a night of drinking bourbon and all of a sudden, <laughs> look what happened. Oops, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> but, you know, it's a bourbon. It says so on the label, so that tells you it's got to be at least 51% corn, so it meets all the requirements of, of a bourbon. But we add that heavily peated malt that we get from Scotland, and uh, it just, you know, it, it just gives it a, a really rich complex, smoky, long-lasting finish. You need a little bit of both. You get that sweetness of the bourbon up
0: front, but by mid-palate, the smoke takes over, and the peat takes over. You know, I'm glad we had some time to talk about your bourbon and really the the, the, heritage, the lineage of where this comes from because when you get a sense, and we go back to the bourbon and how it's sweet and it's spicy and it's got the warmth of it, but it also has the oakiness of it, and then you throw the peated in there. It's it, it just, I think it's just what elevates us to something unique and special. And, you know, this is just wonderful. The, the, the fact that you took the time to make this and more people should know about this. I mean, more people should know about Liberty Bowl. And and more people should know about, if you're if you're a, a, a whiskey or a bourbon or, or you know, if, if, if this is your thing, this is, you know, make Washington a stop on the map. Because you're missing out if you're not coming here. And and just just the tasting we had—that's what everybody else is going to get too. So yeah, you're going to experience all the other yes. things. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. This is this is really a reason why. there's a lot of history and heritage here in Washington that you really need to check out too. And hopefully, you know, things will start to come back again. I mean, it's hard. To, I understand the whole South COVID Bay. thing is hard South on the. Yeah. It's hard on the local businesses. Right. But, but this is a reason why for people to definitely make a stop here. Thank this you. is delicious. Thank you. And and the tribute that you made to Ellen, you know, she should st- thank you every day.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, I thank her every day. Good. It, so Good. Mutual. Mm. Now, I-, I saw things okay, show up. So, so what this is, this is really fun. So this is our first local collaboration. Uh, familiar with Maggie's Farm Rum. Yeah. Uh, so, so we did a barrel swap with Maggie's. And... Um, we, now, Maggie's Farm is out of Pittsburgh. We're out of Pittsburgh. So we grabbed one of their used rum barrels, ex-rum barrels, and we gave them uh, uh, an ex-bourbon barrel. So we decide, we were playing around with, okay, what do we want to put in this rum barrel? We did, we did some experimentation with our rye, with our bourbon, with our peated bourbon. And in the end, we came up with a 50-50 blend of our bourbon and our rye into a Maggie's Farm barrel. So this is not a this is not a bourbon. It's not a rye. It's a it's a blend. It's, of, a, blend. it's a blend of bourbon and rye, aged, finished, finished. These were fully matured whiskeys, uh, but they were finished for I think four months in a Maggie's Farm rum barrel, and we just actually dumped the barrel uh, on Friday, and um, we're going to do a co-release event with Maggie's. They're aging some rum and. One of our bourbon barrels, so we're gonna do a co-release event at some point, whenever they're ready to go. And we have to, you know, get labels designed, but the whiskey's ready, and we're really, we're really
0: pleased with it. It's it's amazing. The the nose is is it's chocolatey. It's like a sweet caramel, chocolatey note to this.
1: That's probably a little. We're going to proof that down. I think we discovered that we like it at about 100 proof. This is probably still at about 110 right here. So that
0: still has a little bit more proofing to go. One of the things I enjoyed about our first trip coming here, you never know what... You're like a mad scientist. And you never know what's going on behind the scenes. You had done a smoky bourbon. Uh, So
1: we have a... A peated rye, which we release once a year, and we're going to release that next year. We do that cast strength. So it's a little different than the peated bourbon because it's a rye. And so the rye is a much stronger grain. And so I think the corn in the peated bourbon can be a little bit submissive. I think it can let the peat dominate it a little bit. Whereas in the peated rye, the two grains are just, you know, kind of really bumping heads. And there's no one dominant flavor note in that and I might drink it today and I might pick up the rye oh there's that rye or I may try it later on and and the peat comes through to me so it's something that's that's really fun and we release that cast strength and that's
0: but you also did little well, We, have, you a, you we did have a little
1: mes- smoky we have a mesquite rye that mesquite uh, yeah, rye
0: yeah, that's mesquite the one rye there yeah. that I brought
1: out for you uh so that's uh that's one that we have
0: a full batch of that and that's probably going to be ready next year so everything's yeah, ready next year Jim I you know so what you need what you're telling me is when people listen to this, they need to put it on a calendar next year. Come back. There's next a lot year. of great come yeah. come now. Yeah. And then come back next year. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whiskey, you know, whiskey, once we decide to do something it's Full hard, steam it's ahead. Hard, it's hard to wait. You know, you've got to wait a couple years for it to, to come out of that barrel.
0: Holy shit. That's good, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Oh wow. And I'll tell you what, that, that, that higher like, proof. Kicks you, yeah, but you still get the sweetness. The Sweetness really is still comes there. Through on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but and it's I, been fun watching
1: that evolve. Uh, just watching that sweetness incorporate more and more as it extracted
0: more from the barrel. That that barrel really it it, it, it was it coddled it. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm now I'm curious and I'm excited to try what Maggie's rum did. Yeah, with with your yeah. work of yeah. art. This is delicious. It's been a fun collaboration. Yeah, this is a reason why we're we, you, I said this is worth driving through gale storms yeah, and yeah. tropical storms to get here today. I saw the weather. I knew you guys were, were gonna have some. Yeah, so this is definitely this is definitely here. worth getting here. Talk about, you know, all right, so talk about some of the things going on here that you normally do and, and especially when things kind of settle out, what people can expect when they come to the distillery. We do tours uh, on Saturdays at 1, 3, and 5 o'clock. And we're sitting in, in
1: the tasting room where we start and end the tours with a tasting.
0: So you're still doing tours?
1: Well, we, we have um, we have suspended them. Okay. Uh, we we actually are, are trying to figure out. We used to do 12 people on a tour. We're going to cut that back to 50%. So we'll do six people. So we haven't really opened those back up yet. But um, you know, th- th- that's something that once we get out of COVID, we'll be back. Full on with our tours. We do cocktails. We have outdoor seating. We we serve cocktails Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays from noon to seven. Um, you know, tastings are always complimentary. We love to we love to walk people through our whiskeys. If they if they don't sign up for tour, but they just want to come in and sample the products,
0: we're happy to do. Now it. we didn't taste it, but don't don't be remiss to forget that you do a bourbon cream. We do a bourbon cream, which is. Which is
1: far and away, just in terms of unit sales, it's our it's our you know it's our
0: biggest seller. And I would say what that reminded Dawn and I of was the Buffalo Trace does yes. a bourbon cream. Yeah, so well, that, was, and that actually, was that was like right on par with. It that that was actually. the inspiration. for yeah. us. I mean I'm
1: not going to say that we thought of that on no. our own. Somebody brought in a bottle of Buffalo Trace, and at that time we were really struggling because while we wanted to be a whiskey only distillery, and that was our business plan, and we didn't want to making vodkas and just we wanted to focus on whiskey but about a year into the business we realized man not everybody that comes in here likes whiskey we really need to have something that has a little bit broader of an appeal
0: and just about that point one of our customers brought in a bourbon cream and said have you ever tried this well let me say something like that about that to to yeah. your point you may not like a whiskey but I'll tell you what if the cocktails are stupendous well, they're spectacular want... thank you and you may not necessarily care for a whiskey but these cocktails are amazing. Well, that's why we do that. And, and because we want people to, even if they think they don't like whiskey,
1: you can make a heck of a cocktail out of whiskey. And that's what we try to do. We try to showcase the whiskey in ways that, you know, we always have the, the core whiskey-focused cocktails like a Manhattan, a Sazerac, and an Old Fashioned. But in addition to that, we always have some cocktails that are seasonal that, that are maybe for the people
0: that are a little bit more... Nervous about a whiskey cocktail? Well, there's nothing to be nervous about here, Jim. And there's nothing. Don't be nervous about coming to Liberty Pole. You and the family and Ellen and everybody here have been very. You were welcoming to, to the moment we walked in, and that's what we re, we really enjoy. We couldn't wait to come out here and speak with you. Um, we're huge fans of what you do, and we're huge fans of what you have to come in the future. Um, Look forward to, you know, trying more of the items that you have coming off the still. And uh, just are very grateful that you took the time here on a Saturday to meet with us and sit down um, on the Fermented Adventure podcast. People find you at LibertyPoleSpirits.com? LibertyPoleSpirits.com. And you're located in Washington, Pennsylvania. And your address is? 68 West Maiden Street in Washington, Pennsylvania. All right. So anybody that loves whiskey or even if you, you know, love a cocktail... And you want to learn about the rich history of uh, American whiskey and even even American history and take some time to to, to visit this town, this is a great place to come and and visit. And again, I I appreciate your time today. Well, thanks, Rich. Uh, Thanks for coming in. Love your podcast. Thanks. Honored to be a part of it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers. Cheers.